Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Big Squid Podcast. It's time for a brand new Space Podacy as Ben Elwood and Alice Fraser join me, Justin Hamilton, to discuss Denis Villeneuve's arrival. I am extremely excited for today's podcast because I'm a big fan of the movie Arrival. Uh, Look, not to get ahead of myself, but I consider it to be pretty much perfect. This is everything I want in a sci-fi film. And Ben and I have wanted to discuss this movie for a long time. And, well, the thing is, we were super keen to have Alice Fraser on this episode. And we had to wait until she was back in Australia when she wasn't being busy, being successful all over the world. So we managed to grab her in between the uh, upcoming festivals and we recorded this for you. And it's uh, it's always just great to have Alice on the podcast. It's always great to spend time with Alice. So I think you're in for a treat with this episode. If you're in Adelaide, my brand new solo stand-up show, uh, Little Victories, opens tonight at the Rhino Room and runs for five nights only. So look, unless you're someone who listens to this podcast immediately... It is probably down to four shows left. So you might be listening to this on Wednesday morning or you might be listening to this Tuesday night and be like, wait a minute, this was on an hour ago. So anyway, it's a small run. I'm confusing the whole thing. It's the 28th of Feb. It starts on the 28th. It's it's a one-week run. That's it. Five shows only. All my loyal listeners can access a Big Squid discount code to save money on ticket prices. Just head to justinhamilton.com.au forward slash gigs and use the code podcast to save yourself some money. Now, remember, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can save even more money using your super duper code. Remember, you've got a different one, so use that. Everyone who signs up to Patreon gets access to bigger discounts on live events, uh, 
bonus podcasts, scripts. Uh, they get to hear works in progress. At the moment, I've been putting up a three-part story that uh, everyone's been able to have a listen to and, uh, you know, get an idea of how the process of writing works. And uh, also, when you sign up, you have an episode dedicated to you. And today's shout-out goes to Lara Kane Gray. Hi, Lara. Thanks for signing up and supporting all the work that goes on here at Big Squid. It is very much appreciated. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed all the stuff over at Patreon. But also, I really hope you get into this podcast today. I think it's a scorcher. If you're listening and would like a shout out along with access to all manner of bonus content, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton and you'll find a tier that suits you. That is patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton and there is all the information you need right there. All proceeds go towards the maintenance of the production of this podcast. So thank you to all of my subscribers. Okay, now it is time to join linguistics professor Louise Banks, who must join a team of investigators when gigantic spaceships arrive on Earth at 12 different locations around the world. Why are they here? Nobody knows, as communication between the alien race is impossible to decode. But Louise must solve this problem before a global war erupts. It's time to look forwards and backwards as we experience arrival. Days that define your story beyond your life. Like the day they arrived. What might be called first contact. The objects measure at least. I'm Colonel GT Webber from Army Intelligence. Pack your bags. You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. Priority one. What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him when you're in the show. That's what they call the UFO. Who's being carted off in the medevac? Not everyone is wired for what you're about to do. So what do they look like? You'll see soon enough. Every 18 hours, a door opens up. That's where we go in. It's time. Yeah, that just happened. Figure something out. I am human. It's their language. We need to make sure that they understand the difference between a weapon and a tool. Language is messy and sometimes one can be both. Are you dreaming in their language? possible they're prodding us to fight among ourselves this is just a way to force us to work together for once it's more complicated than that. how is it more complicated russia just executed one of their own to keep their secret we got 21 hours before they start global war so how do we clarify their intentions i go back in why does this feel worse
it's nice to have a grown up in the room, and that is <laughs> Alice Fraser. Sorry, I've just made I've just made that joke, and uh, Ben has snorted water everywhere, all over your table. You know I'm sorry. That's all right. That's why I put the cloth down. That's all good. I'm glad mommy's here. Oh, I wondered why the cloth was just in front of <laughs> and not in front of me. Good. Yeah. Uh, all right, all right. Wow. You good? good? Yes, I'm good. Let's, yeah. have, yes, let's have a serious conversation about a serious movie. Yeah. While you're covered in uh, <coughs> snot and water. So. Mm. Hey, that it- I mean, that's usually me. But it's not my snot or my water. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, did you get flashbacks then? Did you feel an urge to... Uh, <laughs> Burp me. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of those things that sort of changes your perspective. I've, I've had somebody vomit my own milk back into my mouth. Yeah, right. And it was fine. Yeah. Yep. You know, like it was it just it just come out of me a second ago, you know, it's just milk. Yeah. Tasted like a sweet hot milkshake. Right. Wow. You'd think it would be disgusting. Yeah. Like as an experience, like viscerally disgusting that you'd be repulsed, even if it didn't taste bad in yes. itself, you'd be sort of like this is a revolting thing. It sort of counteracts everything you've ever been taught to believe about life. Yeah. Uh you're like, Ah oh, yeah, it's fine. Well, I guess in the moment you just have to deal with it, so who gives a shit? Yeah. And I feel like that's um something that happens a lot. In everyday life, isn't it? Like things that you build up in your head when they eventually happen. You just got to get on with it. You just it. deal with it. Yeah, you yeah. just deal with it. Like you, you pick your baby off your boob and you hold her up in the air triumphantly and she yeah. bleps the milk back in your mouth and you're like, huh. Yeah. That's... That's happened. New. Yeah. <laughs> when I used to work with... I used to, when I was a dog trainer, I was in a pen with 50 or 60 dogs at any given time for eight hours a day. Yeah. And so the vast majority of the job is picking up feces. Yeah. And for the first week, it was putrid. Yeah. And by the end, you know, oh, I'm out of doggy bags, but i got to pick this thing up because it's going to get eaten if I don't. And so you're picking stuff up with your bare hands. And literally, I mean, after a week, it was just, oh, it's just smelly dirt. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And all the kind of, you know, hang-ups, societal hang-ups, you know, the, the, the recoil, all of it just fades into the background. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's not gross. You just don't have that immediate, you know, well, recoil. It is still disgusting, but it's not it's not loaded up with how you should feel about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. That is one of the things that, you know, when, uh, you know, older generations talk about how the kids of today are weak and uh, are soft and then you think, yeah, but the kids of today pick up dog shit. But like back in, back in the day, we just left it on the sidewalk until the sun came along and turned, turned it, it hard and <laughs> turned it into a powder when you stepped on it. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Like they might not be very good in a war, but they'll uh, know how to pick up dog poo. So everyone needs to back off. Uh, we always like to start this podcast off, uh, Alice, by asking when you first saw this movie. So we'll start with you. Oh, and I first saw the movie was when it came out. I saw it in the cinema. Yes. And uh, what I... What made you go to see it? What was it, what was it that appealed or was someone uh, suggesting it to you? I like science fiction and yep. I, like, I like genre mm. films, I think, um, quite often. And I had heard some good things about this, I think possibly from you. Right. Not 100% sure, but uh, yeah, I think I just was curious, wanted to see a movie, and that was the movie that jumped out at me. Yeah. Um, I liked their... I think I'd seen in the in the trailer their alien. I liked their take on the alien as a sort of really alien. Yes. Um, not just a person in a suit kind of thing. Not right. Not easily translatable. And then I found that was true of my experience of the movie. I really liked the way they did the alien and the idea of translation as well. Yeah. I wonder if uh, the hand that 
play thing in the Adams Family looks at Arrival and thinks, man, if I'd just come along when technology was better, I could have been on the big screen <laughs> rather than just working in black and white on TV. The aliens are fantastic. They're like, so good. This yeah. sort of elephant octopus. Yeah. And it's part, part feeds into my idea of sort of octopuses as an alien mm-hmm. yeah. alien mm-hmm. intelligence, the way yeah. that they operate and why are people interested in space when you could be interested in octopuses. <laughs> like yeah. deep squid doing art that yeah. has never seen the light of day, you know. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. What about you, Ben? I saw it on the day of my 35th birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. I went with my buddy, Ben. Uh, and I loved it. I think yeah. I saw it because um, I'd been into Denny Villeneuve's uh, Enemy, yep. the movie he did before this. Have <laughs> it's you seen so Enemy? good. I have not, no. Yeah. Great movie, doppelganger movie, weird, you know, male psyche collapsing, manifesting in spiders everywhere kind of movie. Fun. Uh, you know, one of those kind of yeah, movies. Yeah, one of those ones. Spiders everywhere <laughs> movies, yeah. by, the, by the way, weirdly, he has summed that up pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it does sound like a stream of consciousness, <laughs> uh, bringing any word that he can find to put into the sentence. To be that, fair, that I, is I feel like how... you nailed it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, fuck it. it's, a, it's a weird movie, man. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, I and think... Jake Gyllenhaal is, you know, one of my kind of favourite weird actors because he's a super handsome guy with you know weird yeah. well, bizarre he's, energy he's super handsome but he's got slightly boggly eyes and yeah. slightly um, slightly still way of holding his face that makes yeah. him seem moderately da- dangerous yeah. yeah absolutely and you can yeah. see that there's kind of like a there's something bent yeah, yeah. he's not the boring good looking guy yeah no Ben, it's a great doppelganger performance because you know, like in Dead Ringers, where the two the the twins look identical, but it's just through the nuance of performance that you can always tell the difference between the two. Yeah, great movie. And I think around that time, I was also getting more into sci-fi as more just kind of like a oh yeah, I don't mind that genre yeah. to like really, really pouring myself into it and loving it. So it's interesting because this is kind of for me right in the middle of sci-fi is back Mm. and it's really good Uh, so I also saw it at the cinema and was pretty blown away Uh, everything from uh, the performances and uh, the cinematography was uh, especially appealing and uh, the storyline was very much right up my circular alley like I just kind of got to the end and was like I know this wasn't made for me but was this made for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was really, I was really uh, quite evangelical. Well, it does that film. thing that good science fiction or that science fiction does well, which is really exploring an idea yes. of how something might be. Like yes. speculative fiction is what the thing. So, but it, but it's a complicated idea. It's an interesting yes. idea. It's mm. a it starts from a simple premise, but then you yeah. can they really explore what the implications are for how people would be in that circumstance yeah. Yeah. with the technology or with whatever the, yeah. the hypothetical is. They actually unpack how people are, which is one of the reasons why I think a lot of actually golden age novel sci-fi isn't great sci-fi yes. because it doesn't deal with people. It just deals with the ideas yeah. and the people are kind of ciphers. Yes. Um, but looking at the emotional life of people impacted by this technology, this hypothetical advance whatever it happens to be is what really engages me yeah. about good sci-fi mm, yeah. or what i consider yeah, good absolutely. sci-fi yeah, yeah. and the nuance of reaction that it's not just like ah, or kind of like oh the star children have arrived yeah. it's this real kind of it feels like a very genuine reaction the way people are moving through this i yes. do think that there would be riots in the street and i do think that there would be factions of the army going just fucking blow it up yeah this isn't good yeah and uh, you know like not to get too ahead of ourselves but it's things like 
when she first sees the aliens or comes into contact with them, it, she is overwhelmed yep. and she is very apologetic. And then there's just the most casual of asides from the major when he says, you know, well, you cope better than the last person who mm. may have been that person getting taken away. You know, yep. they just would have had a... Yep. Not everyone could cope with it. So there, there's big ideas that are dealt with uh, subtly and uh, once again with nuance. And then also, like on top of that, the structure of the film mm. itself, mm. reflecting the internal workings of the story and mm. the way in which you think, what you think is a trope of filmmaking, which mm. is, can we uh, go with this? Uh, you know what, let's, let's do some of the segments and then we'll... Okay, then I'll be I, vague. What you yeah. think is a trope of filmmaking yeah. is an integral part of yeah. the experiential Absolutely. process of the story. Yeah. Yeah. And that being a kind of a reveal, but yes. one of those great reveals where it's just about how you focus your eyes. Yes. It was always visible. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was just your assumption about how it was working yes. was wrong. They weren't tricking you. Yeah. They, they, were, they were laying it all there and they yeah. were just holding back one bit of information yeah. And you, you assumed it was a trick because yeah. you're used to being Absolutely. tricked in that way. Yeah. It was just beautiful. Love yeah. that. I think the other, the other reason it's great sci-fi is so many sci-fis, it's like it will pose one kind of philosophical question. You know, what if aliens landed? There's so much in this. You know, how do we communicate between ourselves? How do we communicate with other beings that we have no, you know, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. You just did with the octopus. You know, my frustration with SETI and all these kind of, ooh, we need to talk to aliens is we are populated with aliens all over the planet and we make no attempt to have a conversation with a dolphin or a whale or an octopus or try and figure out this commonality of experience that we have on this planet. So what makes us think that we would ever be able to communicate with something that has a completely different physiology and maybe even a completely different law of physics that it operates under? Yes, this obsession also with when you do see people relating to animals with finding the humanity in the animal, which is what I liked about this alien was that it wasn't relating to it involved stepping outside your humanity. Yes, rather than trying to find a reflection of yourself in it. Yeah. Can I ask, because I've, you know, I've worked a lot with animals and a lot with kids, and I say this about kids in the most complimentary way. Yeah. That they are more animal than human in the sense that they are pure experiential creatures and there's no judgment. There's no, they're, they're just kind of, exper- and if they feel like going blah and twirling around in circles, they just do it. There's not that, that, locked-in sense of self hasn't fully developed yet to restrict, you know, wants and needs and behaviours and all that kind of stuff. And so I find when I'm, ex- when I'm interacting with uh, a dog or a cat, it's more analogously similar to interacting with a small child in the sense that I find it easier to speak in their language or tap into what their mode of communication rather than foisting my mode of communication onto them. Are you finding that with your daughter? Uh, I I don't know if I can directly answer that. One of the things that I noticed after giving birth was like you're super emotional. Your hormones are up and you're incredibly emotional. I remember singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and thinking, oh, it's so true. What is a star to a baby? You know, just just, and and the, the, the logical understanding that I came to of that experience is that you spend your whole life having defences against people. Yeah. That everyone who comes at you, at least to a certain extent, you're like, what are they trying to get from me? What, yeah. how, you know, you agenda? can't be 
open to everybody. You have to try and assess them, anyone in the street. Are they a threat? Are they a friend? Are they, you know, how much of a boundary do I have to have against them? Mm. But you shouldn't have, have a boundary against your child. Mm. You can't. It's not right. Mm-hmm. And particularly when they're in that very infant stage, you're just, you just have to in, just, just be interoperable with their needs. You just have to anticipate all of their needs and be completely open to them. So these tides of hormones are just washing the sand clean. <laughs> They're washing down all of your barriers and you have no... And that's why you want to be in a little cave. That's why you don't want to be out in the world. That's why everything feels like just hugely, vastly intimidating and scary. You slowly have to begin to delicately reconstruct your boundaries with the world. But mm. for those first four, five weeks, really for the first three months, it's you're completely open. You're inside out. You have no skin on as far as that goes. Is there a sense of kind of like loss of individuality and in that you kind of are one and the same or is there a very clear delineation of like baby me? Um, first, when the baby is born, a person arrives. Yeah. But you've been feeling that while they were in your tummy slowly over the last, particularly in the last trimester, there's more of a person in the room. You feel their moods a little <laughs> yeah. bit more. There's, you know, there's, there's yeah. a sense of a presence in the room. Um, and then that sort of presence becomes actualized in mm. the moment of giving birth. You're standing on the boundary between life and death and a person arrives yeah. through your body. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, there's not a person. And then there is a person. And you kind of get this like dizzying sense of the reality that people just arrive and leave mm. the world. Mm. Whatever your religious belief yeah. or if you have none, that's... That's how it is. There's a person and then there's not a person or vice versa. There isn't a person and then there is a person. Um, But for those first months and probably for the first few years, you are not a diminished self, but you are an opened self. There's now a wall that is missing between you and this person. And part of them growing up is them building that wall. You don't get to, as a parent, build that wall. And I find it sort of, you know, the way that I parent is sort of loosey, very hippie, I don't know, very open, very very kisses and milk and love. You know, I'm not one of those people who's like, put the baby in its own room, you know, get, yeah, a, get a job, you know. Yeah, of course, yeah. I find it sort of up, vaguely upsetting in that way that you can't help judging other parents when, when people feel the need to construct those boundaries. Yeah. I sort of think that's the child's job. As they that's become a person so and they assert their independence... The first time they say no, which is where my daughter is now. She's becoming a toddler. She's saying no. And then I have to respect that boundary. And that's that wall on of me, as part of me, is being built, bricked up by her. Wow. So right. that porousness between her, she doesn't need that so much anymore. And as she needs it less and less, I will respect that. And I do think there are mothers who don't respect that, who constantly want to keep that channel open because it's a kind of a nourishing thing. Right. In that way that, like, breastfeeding feels like giving someone... You know when someone's upset and you give them a hug and you feel like, yes, this is the right thing to do. I'm making them feel better. Yeah. It's such a nice feeling. That's what breastfeeding, feel, breastfeeding feels like, but, like, times 100. But at some point, they want to step away from the hug. Yeah. At some point, you have to stop breastfeeding. At some point, you have to stop being the solution to all their problems. Mm can't make them feel good mm. they have to start building those tools themselves and you have to step back you want a mother you don't want to smother yeah so yeah. that that's kind of how i feel about that process of 
I know some grown-ups who are still trying to smother me. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know, know anything about this. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people are like, "Let me give you a hug." It's like, "I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. fine. I'm 50. <laughs> uh, let's get into the few of the segments. Uh, the segment Google Me Chuck. These are the top four responses when you Google arrival. And uh, to be honest, Alice, sometimes these are infuriating, but these are fine. It's okay. uh, what is the point of a rival movie? <laughs> I, I can get that. Like, I can yeah, understand, right. you know, what was General Shang's wife's dying words, which is fair. That is fair. Um, how did arrival end? And is the arrival scary? And it's like, okay, because normally some of these questions are, as I said, like, what? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, yeah. that all kind of makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Have uh, you found a translation? Particularly of the question yeah. of is it scary? Because yes. the answer is if you find existential terror scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, first context. These are some of the sci-fi movies that came out before and after. 2012, we had Cloud Atlas. 2013, we had Gravity. 2014, we had Edge of Tomorrow and Interstellar. 2015, we had Mad Max Fury Road. And then we follow uh, this film in 2016 with 2017, we have Blade Runner 2049. 2018, we have Annihilation. And 2019, a very uh, underrated film that has not been seen by a huge amount of people, but I love, is The Vast of Night. Which is very good and it's very, very low budget. I think you can find it on uh, Amazon Prime and it's it's great. It's uh, set in the 50s and just just really well done. Right. Must be made on like a, you know. I can so see where this stands between Interstellar and Annihilation. Yes. Yeah. Where Annihilation, I think, didn't quite do the thing it was aiming to do. No. I I rewatched that not long ago and was strangely, once again, indifferent. I was indifferent the first time I saw it, and then I thought, maybe I was just not quite in the right mood. And then I rewatched it, and I was like, uh... There's something about it that's too involved in its own artistry, I think, to mm. really make space for the audience. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't disagree with that. I reckon that's uh, pretty much... I way. actually feel that way about all of Alex Garland's work. I don't particularly like Ex Machina. And oh, I'm, I'm quite alone in that. But yeah. I, I find a similar thing. There's a coldness to it that I can't quite glom onto. And then Men was... Ugh. But not that that's sci-fi, but... But I yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen Men. I, I had enough people who... Uh, I had enough people that I don't trust tell me it was great and enough people that I trust tell me it wasn't as good as people were saying and I went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm getting the same message here. Mm. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sort of calibrating yeah. my feelings. Yeah, this is good. Uh, segment the year that was, 2016. These are some of the sci-fi movies that came out. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, Midnight Special, uh, Star Trek Beyond and Rogue One. So this is where the context of where this movie fits in. So let's dig into it. Uh, so this is a tricky movie to discuss. So to avoid confusion, uh, let's approach the film in a linear fashion yeah. and explain how we felt with each revelation. I feel like that's an easier way for people listening to keep up with us because I think it would be quite easy to discuss the ending now and then say, so what do you think of Louise when we first meet her? Yep. So... Um, it is a highly emotional beginning for a character. We don't know yet. We see Louise, as played by Amy Adams, remembering her daughter at certain points in her life as a baby with her husband, playing together, tough teenage years, a terrible diagnosis, and then her daughter's death. 
And I'm curious, what do you think of Denis Villeneuve's opening? I mean, it is different watching it as a parent. Yes. There might be a reason that we specifically held off on uh, <laughs> talking about this movie. Like, we've, Ben and I have been circling this film for a year and we were like, we've got to wait for Alice Fraser. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very good acting yeah. by Amy Adams, who plays sort of long-form grief better than anyone I think in uh, Hollywood at the moment. Yeah. Um, I think she's really underrated as an actor because I, I know lots of people that don't like her and think she doesn't do anything. And I think that is uh, why she's so good yeah. because she's doing so much, but she's not histrionic. Yes. Like, she feels like a real person. She doesn't feel like... Um, which also suits her very well to this role. Yeah. Which, in which there is um, the heroism of her as a central character is not heroism with which you're necessarily familiar. Yes. A lot of the heroism you see on stage is... On screen, sorry, is action because that's what movies do best. They yeah. show things visually. Yes. yes. And one of the, the great things about this film is so much of the action is internal and so much of the courage and strength hmm. that you see is internal in a way that feels particularly feminine. Yes. Like that is heroism that I recognise from women. Yes. The heroism, even at this point of the film, that you see of her dealing with her daughter's death and like actually just going through it and being there for it that is a heroism that i recognize in as and and it's not just women but in the way that like punching something is traditionally mm. considered yeah. a masculine way yeah um and and when men do this i it's considered feminine can, can I that just, form of heroism i think is such so undercovered can i just ask do you mean are you saying like being present like that's the form of heroism, being present for the moment that is not the moment, but that's I, the thing. For the, present for the but experience, not the moment, the whole thing. So that, yeah. like, masculine heroism is often an act of yeah. great courage, yeah. but just showing up and being there, and yeah, holding yourself open and and to the pain and accepting it and and going through it with somebody. Yeah. That is a heroism that I would characterize particularly in this film, as feminine. Yeah, sure. Which is not to say that men can't yeah, do it, yeah. but in the same way as like... Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Villeneuve and writers uh, Eric Heisserer and Ted Chiang use our natural understanding of linear storytelling and the way we experience life against us to set up a series of assumptions about our lead character, which, uh, once again, I think she just plays beautifully. Like, she yep. just... It, it, there's... there's the reveal doesn't undercut or make anything strange earlier, which is what can sometimes happen with reveals when you go back and you go, oh, that person's actually not really acting in character. She yeah, is yeah, actually yeah. consistent all the way through. Well, it is consistent and it's it's integral to the yep. journey of the character in the kind of outside of the family is that this process is what makes her open yep. to what happens later yes well and there are acting beats within that opening montage that when you know what is going on in the second viewing that are fully you know in line with the narrative yeah little looks to the side you know yes. moments of you know there's one coming up a little bit later that that i definitely want to touch on but yeah this is uh this is uh the beginning of her uh the way that she sees the world 
changing mm-hmm. before she even has time to yeah. really understand what's going on. So uh, Louise heads to work where she sees the news along with her students at 12. Extraterrestrial spacecraft have appeared at various locations around the world. Soon the army contact her and ask her if she can interpret what the aliens are saying. She explains she would have to be in a room with the aliens to have any chance of understanding their language. Soon the government reluctantly agrees to take her to one of the ships if aliens visited Earth and you were needed to help bridge the gap with them, would you go? And if so, what would you bring to the table, Ben? <laughs> uh, absolutely. I wouldn't be the first in the ship. You know what I mean? Like, I was, I was actually thinking this as she was going in. It's like, well, if you, if you knew you weren't going in to ra- get ray-gunned and disintegrated, like, if there was at least, like, I'm going to come out of this alive, yeah. I would not hesitate at all. Uh, I have a real lifelong fascination and passion for communication finding some kind of baseline communication not just with humans which is fairly easy but um with animals you know um i i remember the first time i realized that animals communicate with each other and it busted my brain open right you know i was four or five years old watching uh mother magpie you know clucking at its chick and sat in the backyard like going oh my god they're talking to each other Yeah. yeah Which, and, you know, and, and, I, and I, as much as a five-year-old can realise what that means in that moment, I felt the resonance of that, that they weren't just squawking. It yeah. wasn't just, meh, 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 like, it didn't mean nothing. It meant something. Yeah. And I remember going inside and telling my uncle that the birds were talking to each other and his response was, <laughs> yeah, what are they talking about? And it's like, well, not fucking Shakespeare, you gronk. Like, they're talking yeah. about what birds talk about. Um, and so from then on was always fascinated with it. And as I said earlier, you know, when I was working with dogs within a week realized it was much easier for me to learn their postures and head movements and what different barks and different growls meant. Um, and I probably looked completely insane in the pen talking like that. But I found that the peace that could descend when I did do that was profound and I'm not saying that we were talking about stuff. We were talking dog. It was a very basic, simple language. But there was... The, I'm sure both of you have had it. Have you had that moment with a creature, a non-human creature where... And it could be projection. It probably is human projection. But it's like this moment where it's like, I see you and you see me. And it's just that baseline life, recognizing life, free of oh, yeah, I reckon species. I, I reckon I do it all the time. Like, you know, when you're walking past a cafe and there's a couple sitting out the front having breakfast and their dog's sitting there patiently and then you walk past and you make eye contact and you don't do anything but you just say, hey, and then yeah. you kind of keep walking. That's a well, that's I that think moment, it, right? It also, it also gives you perspective on the way in which humans relate that is not talking. That, you know, Absolutely. you can step in a lift mm. and there's a vibe. Absolutely. Mm. No one says a word. You mm. know, there's a protocol that has been established. You walk into the lift. This is where you stand. You've mm. been shown where to stand with nobody making a hand gesture or mm. any kind of sign. Yep. Everyone's bodies just tell you where you need to be and that this is a silent lift or this is a chatty lift mm. or this is a lift with a baby that we're all going to admire or this is a lift with an old person that we're all going to be slightly worried about. You just walk in and you feel... And, and comedians, almost more than any other yep. class of people, have to know the vibe of a room when Read you step auras. into Absolutely. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, have you ever stood in the wrong place in a lift deliberately? I Yes, there was... Oh, this is a cruel thing to say. I used to work with somebody who um, would not, for uh, philosophical reasons, wouldn't touch or look at women. What? 
that was his Look. thing. Um, Look, and I respect that. his right to hold that belief, but okay. I do not respect that belief. Right. And I, I was young. Yep. Uh, I would have been probably 19, and what I would do was stand just <laughs> slightly too close. Oh, yeah, that's right. Not touching him, not like yep. offending his, no. his actual <laughs> thing, but I was definitely just... <laughs> Just a little bit fuck you. Yeah, being a little bit provocative. Just a little bit. And just <laughs> not, not a lot. Like, it wasn't like I was, you know, close to touching him. If, you know, yeah. the lift had stopped, I wouldn't have stumbled into him. But just enough to, like, I, you, you know, you feel the aura. And I was just a little in that yeah. bubble. Sure. Is that something a, you do at this age? No, I don't think I would do it at this age. Yeah. At this age, I would feel less um, personally affronted by his personal belief. Yeah. I would yeah. feel like less like it was like, you know, I'm like, I'm here as your colleague, not as a fucking woman. And, I, you know, I understand maybe a little bit more about what leads people down the path to having yep. such beliefs. Sure. When I was younger, I used to uh, like to stand in the wrong position in a lift and be facing the wrong way, Yeah. which was just fun. It's just fun <laughs> to have people, especially when you're in a big building and you're stopping at a lot of places and you're the only one facing the wall and everyone else is facing the door and just, you know, feel the vibe in the, in, in the lift and everyone freaks out. Because they're yeah. like, what's going on with him? Is he reenacting the end of the Blair Witch Project? Like, what's he doing? <laughs> I was just like, oh, I just, you know, just want to see what happens. Isn't it amazing the amount of discomfort that can spread through such a benign act? Just a yeah. slight divergence from the norm and everyone's getting really uneasy. Yeah. Also, bear in mind that we are, none of us here, big people. And mm. none of us here, massive dudes. Because yeah. that I've got can be shoulders. a very... That, yeah, you're, you're, you're a Thank perfect you. size. Thank you. But what I mean is that somebody who's going... Somebody who's deliberately going against the current of social convention, yes. if they are physically threatening mm. or potentially oh, physically yeah. threatening, is mm-hmm. a lot scarier. Yes. Well, if yeah, someone is doing a thing that people don't normally do, looking at you in a way that people yeah. don't normally look at you, if they're yeah. also physically imposing, that's a much more upsetting. Well, Absolutely. You know, if I was uh, my mate Brett, who's six foot ten, if I was his height, uh, all I would be doing is standing at the back of the lift with my shoulders hunched. Wishing that people couldn't see me. Yeah, well, like I have a friend who's very, very big and he used to put his hair into pigtails in public when he because he was an unconventional guy, but he also wanted to do unconventional yeah. things without people feeling threatened by them. Yeah. Sure. So he would sort of do this clowning of self yeah. Yeah. in order to sh- present this very clear sign that he wasn't yeah. a scary yeah. big dude, you know? Um, so I'm guessing you'd uh, go into the alien ship and get down on the ground and try and roll around and see what you could... <laughs> I've done yeah. it with many animals. When I used to work at the zoo, I would do it with goats all the time. We'd get yeah. into like wrestling matches, yeah. you know, uh, when they were challenging me for uh, dominance. Yeah. And instead of just shooing them away, I would lock horns with them and, you know, yeah. beat them that way. So I think what, when you ask what would I bring, it's what you said earlier about that we're always looking for the humanity in other creatures. What I've always been interested in is finding the animal within us. Like what is, we all come from the same thing, the same base core ingredient. And so there has to be this kind of, as I say, that moment of recognition amongst, you know, interspecies. And so I think I would bring just the, the openness and the curiosity. Yeah. Because a lot of people just don't, you know, we're only just in the last probably 30 or 40 years really starting to get past this Descartian, uh, you know, animals are just wind-up toys. Mm. They don't even really mm. feel pain. It's all just a simulation. Like yeah. we're only now starting to go. And I think in some sectors, especially the pet care sector, it's going way too far in the other direction where it's like, I'm pushing my dog around in the pram and, like that's too far it's still a dog it still needs to be a dog yeah. Um, but yeah just openness and curiosity yeah. that would be fascinating to be able to communicate but I think again that's a similar thing where looking after the feelings of a dog does not mean 
pretending that a dog is a person. Absolutely. Or yeah. that it has even a, uh, a, a comparable feeling to us. That yes. to, to go, don't, to a dog is like doing that to a child. You're not going to scar the dog. Yeah. Talking, that's how dogs communicate amongst themselves in mm. broad, you know, tonal gestures. Mm. So they're not going to be offended or scarred or anything. But mm. anyway, I sit in Camperdown Park a lot judging dog owners because it is <laughs> insufferable. Yeah. And what a way to spend the day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what about you? You'd go in, wouldn't you? You'd, oh, yeah. Yeah. What would you Oh, actually, mm, not to frame everything through my experience as a parent, but I can't do roller coasters anymore. So maybe I wouldn't take, if it were a risk to my life, I no right. longer feel like I have the right necessarily to risk mm. my life. Yeah. But say, okay. say, say I'm, you know, my child is grown or I don't have a child, then yes. Yes. Okay. What if the child was the age that she is now and you knew that there was no mortal then yes, I would absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd uh, definitely go in and I would try to make sure that uh, I, I'd give them heaps of opportunities to understand the best of us through what I think is the best of us. Oh, so yeah. I'd take in all three seasons of The Leftovers yeah. to experience high emotion and dark humour, <laughs> David Bowie's Hunky Dory to hear beautiful music, Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely's All-Star Superman to show them what we aspire to, and Game 4 of the 2022 NBA Finals where S- Steph Curry single-handedly turned the series around to show us at our best when we're under pressure. And I'd also give them a Steph Curry singlet. I was just been showing my old violin to, to my baby and I found my uh, Sydney Kings basketball ah, pass from yeah. when I played the national anthem for them oh. when I was like eight. Oh, amazing. Before their game. That's the best. Well, you could take that in. Yeah, I don't think I played it very well. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. Good thing is it's the NBL, so uh, <laughs> not as many people would have seen it. But if it was the NBA, it's, uh, it's known forever. Uh, on the helicopter to the site, Louise meets Ian, played by Jeremy Renner, a physicist who was brought in to help with the communication. Uh, let's, let's have a chat about Jeremy Renner, who I really like. Uh, I think uh, he's at his best in these types of films. Mm. And we're, we're recording this just after he's had this terrible accident that has... Uh, are you guys not across it? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah he, he, he got run over by a snowplow. He's trying own to freeze, uh, I think it was a family car, and <laughs> like, he's got really? like 30 broken bones and yeah. nearly died. Well, so I did not know this. Um, I, um, I, I think he's so good in this uh, because I think, and I think one of the worst things that's happened to his career from, not from a financial point of view, but from an acting point of view, is that he got stuck with a vanilla character of Hawkeye in yeah. the Marvel movies, yeah. which is once again a character that could have been a lot better. But And uh, I just wonder, you know, because I loved him in The Hurt Locker. I think he's great in Wind River. Uh, I actually think he's quite good in The uh, the Bourne Legacy. Uh, yeah. I think he's wonderful in this because he's, like, he's a guy. Like, he's, he's quite clearly a guy. Yes. But he's not, it's, there's a... There's a sense of humour to him. There's a gentleness to him. Uh, well, wonder. You, you can see he's, he's, it's such an interesting character because mm. you can see the ways in which he is flawed from the outset. Mm. You can see the ways in which he wants to be a better man. Mm. And you can see sort of the, I guess, the moral fable of this of this movie play yeah. out in him. It's as much a, mm. a story of his heroism and his failures as it is of, of hers as central yeah. characters and it's interesting to see a man cast in this kind of supportive supporting role yeah um, i think that's kind of what's makes it the most fascinating because i think a lot of male actors wouldn't have 
and that his task his in the role that he is being cast in, but also in his life as a say the character is a person, mm. is to be a supporting character to Amy Adams's character. Yeah. And that's in the way that a husband is supportive of a wife, in that yeah. be, to be supportive mm. and to be a supporting character is also, I think particularly for men, it can be a real hit. Yeah. And whether you're willing to take that hit. Yeah. And, uh, mm, and he is, and he's, and he's, you know, like early on, the character's already read her work and he kind of challenges her, but he challenges her in a very funny way. Like yeah. it's not, it's, it's not a... a trying to dominate it's uh there's some things i disagree with i'm going to throw them there and just see what your reaction is because that's what he's working out what's also interesting is um maybe his failure as a man is also her failure as a woman for you know when uh you know when she eventually reveals what she knows yeah maybe you know we, we'll get to that a bit later but there's it's, uh, I think it's quite beautiful to watch, even in his most heroic moment in the movie, which yeah. we'll also get to. It's not, it's not macho, yeah, but it's heroic, yeah, which yeah. I really like. Um, there's also the moment where uh, Louise is asked if she's pregnant, and uh, sh- uh, Louise does says no, but looks at Ian. Does a kind of double take. Oh, I noticed that. Yeah, and uh, I, I wonder if you know. Once again, you know, because I think the film is the burgeoning of her expanded consciousness through mm. language. I feel like that's a that's an echo of the future of why she looks in his direction because he does not look at her while she answers that. It's not. It's not a. Oh, we're interested in each other. She's just a bit. No, but why am I looking at him? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, also that. Yeah, that, that that she has these, um, the expanded consciousness in the same way as if you think in in George Orwell in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, uh, the idea if you don't if you don't have the language for freedom, mm. then you can't conceive of freedom. Yes. and it's kind of taking the reverse of that proposition and saying if you have an expanded language, then you have an expanded consciousness. Yes, um, makes me think of my niece who my my sister in law asked her. She was a bit quiet over breakfast. She's three. And my sister-in-law said, what are you thinking about? And she said, my thoughts are the same as before, but I have more words in my head now. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Good job, kid. Uh, and, then that, and that's the question. Are, yeah. are you capable of conceiving of things that you don't have language for? Or is language expansive or limitive of your yeah. capacity yeah. for thought? I think so. I think 100%. both. Probably, yeah. it can expand what you can think of, yeah. and equally, it can frame Lock up you what in. you think yeah. in a way that doesn't allow mm. for. What's well, the uh, the old story about the Aztecs walking down to the ocean and seeing that there, something was wrong with the sea? There was just something wrong with them. They just could not work it out. And what it was was the Spanish Armada coming to take them out. But yeah. they they didn't have words to describe what was happening so they just looked at the ocean and went oh that's that's a wrong wave <laughs> yeah that's not right yeah 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 so but it's true of experiences too i was uh i was hanging out with my mum recently and we were flicking through netflix and we came across the trailer for that michael pollan documentary changing your mind i don't know if you've heard of it it's you know his experiences as a 60 year old man taking psychedelic drugs and yep. you know what happened to his consciousness blah 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 uh, and in the preview, they were showing uh, uh, one of the main mushroom men who discovered a lot of the psilocybins talking about the moment, you know, where his third eye burst open and he understood the true nature of reality and that we're all one. Da, da, da. 
Uh, and evidently I was kind of nodding along and, and mum in her unique ultra cynical way just goes, does this make sense to you what he's talking about? And I was like, yeah, like it really does. Um, and she goes, what about it? And I started explaining, you know, experiences that I've had and these, and it wasn't, you know, oh, I was fucked on drugs. It was, you know, these holy experiences mm. of, of, of revelation, you mm. know, and, and that I am matter and this matter has been all things and, uh, and she does not have really any kind of knowledge of science on that level or, you know, and has like an inbuilt kind of cynical hostility to any kind of conversation about religion, spirituality, anything like that. And so it was just clang, 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 everything that was said. And it was, but it was the moment of realization. It was like, oh no, she's not, it's not that she's dismissing what I'm saying. She does not have the, the framework to even understand what I'm talking about. And so in lieu of that, it's just like, yeah, okay, mate. I don't yeah. think, and I don't think you need to be in an altered, uh, drug altered no, state to get that shift in perspective. Not like I remember, yeah. one of the things was after my mum died, and I was there, and I held her, her the inside of her elbow, so I could feel her heart stopping. And then afterwards, sort of, they sort of arranged the body, and I put my hand, and her head was still warm. And then, I. Sometime later, weeks later, I was at the top of a hill looking out over the lights of the city and I had this feeling, this imprint of warmth on my hand and I saw everything as energy. Mm. And I saw the streetlights down below and I thought if those were water pouring out energy like that, if, if, the, if, if we saw the pouring out of light in the same way as you see the pouring out of water, we would realise what a waste mm. this is. Yeah. Of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, that shift of mm. perspective that one of those, which is one of the things I like about science fiction, it can shift the way you look at the world so that the mm. world seems alien to you. Yeah. But in a really interesting and exciting, exciting. way that yeah. expands Absolutely. your ability to conceive of things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Louise and Ian are taken into the spaceship and meet the aliens to cephalopod like creatures with seven limbs dubbed heptapods. Uh, what do you think of the spaceship and the aliens? I really like how alien they are. Yeah. I really like how vast yeah. they are. I like the um, the references to elephants and octopuses, as I said, yeah. those two vast, you know, having, having that kind of scale to it that's very non-human but mm. intelligent. Mm. Um, and the fact that the, the colour... The colours in the ship are so it's so dark that it, without being menacing, it's intimidating, and it's also a signal to us that they see the world differently. Mm-hmm. You know that it, that they they either they can see colours that we can't, mm-hmm. or that their way of perceiving the world is different. Yeah, um, it's so nice to be in something that's not shiny, right? Absolutely. I also think their size is once you get past the initial intimidation of the whole situation is actually quite comforting because it's the revelation of like, well, they could fuck you up so easily if they wanted to. Well, if, they, if they wanted to cause trouble, that pane of glass isn't stopping them. They're huge and right. they're, you know, as you say, vast. And I get, I get the elephant and the octopus. I also get a lot of whale, like the, that mm. click, 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 click sound that they make. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you get this kind of um, feeling of wisdom and, you know, profundity to them. 
that a lot of aliens don't <laughs> definitely don't have. Yeah. Or you know, I mean, it's just it's as you say, it's it's it, we're so used to seeing aliens that either are humanoid, mm. you know, the kind of starfish configuration, two arms, two legs. Mm. Um, but yeah. Because these seem to, they, 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 there's times where they look like thing from the Adams yeah. family, yeah. where they're walking along, and then you know from a different perspective, it's you know, and then later on in the movie we see them from behind for the first time, and they've got that strange kind of head on top, then yeah. balloons out. In the short story, they have, uh, off the top of my head, they have maybe seven eyes as well, so uh, in a ring around them. So, which I think is. Uh, I think it's a smart move to remove yep. from the film because I think Seven Eyes you want takes that it into, uh, I don't know. I, I, I Spidery think, territory, visually. Yeah, but I think there's also... B-movie uh, schlock territory. The, yeah, I think it works as words for you to imagine, but if you watch it, I think you're suddenly going, is this stop-motion yeah. kind also, of aliens? Do you, do you yeah, agree 100%. with that? Yeah, 100%. Sim- also, symbolically, it's interesting. As, a, as I didn't know that was in the, the text of the, of the thing, yeah. but there are some, uh, some sort of traditions that believe that we are walking through time. Mm. In the way that we move through time, we're walking backwards. Because you can see the past, but you can't see the future. Oh, right, so right. So, in the context of that, yes. the seven eyes around the head make sense, makes sense for this story. Wow. Yeah. Uh, at first, nobody can work out why the alien crafts have landed where they have in the world. Some think it is because of low lightning strikes. Some point out that Sheena Easton had a hit song in each place in the 80s. <laughs> if you'd been asked to interpret what was going on, what cockamamie suggestion would you try to get people to believe? Do you want me to go first? Yes, please. Um, I would try to convince people that it's every stop that Indiana Jones plane lands at in the movies and they've come all the way to explain how to get the movies back on track. <laughs> that's what I would have tried to explain to my stoner friends in Adelaide. I was just like, no, that's, what it's, that's what's happening, man. Just to, just to mess with them. I mean, I think my go-to, being as limited as I am, would be music yeah. and, and sort of trying to figure out whether there was a scale oh, or yeah. whether there was how, how the... How the intervals thought, yeah. engaged with each other, whether there yeah. was a kind of a... Uh, I mean, I'm starting from the pro, I'm not being a translator, but I would try yeah. and see if there was like a... Basically a cipher You know, when you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, you could flatten the globe like you do on those maps and then you could uh, work out the musical notes from yeah. where they landed and then you could play it and then it turns out it's uh, the chicken dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Wait a minute, they've come f- from... Another galaxy does say it doesn't matter. It's all the chicken dance, mate. <laughs> all the thing from um, Close Encounters. Boom, boom, oh, boom, yeah. boom. Have you seen that beautiful interview with, um, uh, I think it's uh, inside the actor's studio where uh, the guy's interviewing Steven Spielberg and he says, um, you know, it makes sense that when uh, the uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character finally meets the aliens and it is, uh, you know, it's it's... It's science, but it's also music. And your dad was a scientist and your mum was a musician. And you see Spielberg just go, thank you so much because I had not thought that. <laughs> and oh, oh, you've just made me realise I have brought my family into this. And it's a real, like he's so delighted to be told something that he just goes, yeah, I reckon you're right. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> that is good. Um, all right, let's take a bit of a break and then we'll come back with the rest of the questions. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're back. And uh, we are at the point of the movie where Louise begins using the written word to communicate with the heptapods. In return, they write on their glass wall in a complex language that consists of palindromic phrases written with circular symbols. The colonel in charge, Weber, the wonderful Forrest Whitaker, wants to know why they're here, but this process is slow and requires simple but small steps before arriving at the bigger questions. How do you think Denis and the team make this movie so compelling... Mm. With so little action. Because they're breaking down that, that little montage of how to communicate with something that does not, you know, even understand what a I or a you or a pronoun is. Mm. I found fascinating, mm. you know. And so I think to take something that is so just everyday and something that we take for granted, just basic human communication and break it down to that, you know, those complexities of what it actually takes to be understood. Yeah. It, it's fascinating. The place that you would normally begin to understand somebody else is absent. And so what yes. do you fill in for that gap? I think it's fascinating. I mean, I, part of how he manages to maintain our attention is the soundtrack, mm-hmm. um, which I think was a fairly early sort of, it's got these kind of ominous tones to it, but it's sort of, it, it, the soundtrack tells you something exciting is happening. Yeah. Even if what looks like it's happening it's so, so in that way, it's very d- rich in emotion, and yep. the actors also carry that. The uh, interesting thing uh, also is the it's everything going on in the backstory. So we have the ticking clock that is the rest of the world, specifically China and Russia, and what they're about to do to give the film a sense of uh, dread. So mm-hmm. you, that, that you very rarely focus on it, but you always know that that's happening. Um, and uh, you know, Louise is such a normal person which we've discovered who heroic because of her intellect and uh what i love is you see amy adams actually think her way through problems like uh so as an example you know when she's trying to communicate with the written word and uh she looks at the bird in the cage and she realizes that like you actually see her think through oh the bird's fine here i'm gonna be fine here and you know stripping down so she can uh, freely communicate uh once again it's 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 not a big fisticuffs moment, but it's you see it happening. I think that's part of what uh, keeps it uh, quite compelling. It's, all, it's old school procedural stuff. It's the kind of stuff you'd see, you know, in a David Fincher movie. Yes. You know, that kind of like, we have a problem. And as the audience, we're invested. What the fuck is going on? Yeah. Yes. They're not coming in with the solutions. One of the things I find frustrating about action movies nowadays is that they have the skills already, mm-hmm. you know, or they barely do a montage of them learning the skills. When actually that's... 
Right. I think what's human and interesting is watching somebody try and fail and try again. Yes. Well, they talk about you know, the reason Die Hard is still one of the most beloved action movies is because he's running around barefoot the whole time, you know, wincing every time a piece of glass goes into yeah. Like, he's a man. Yeah. And he, he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hence why all the rest of the movies don't quite work because it's like, how many yeah. times can a guy who doesn't want to be there end up there? When, and, and doesn't he get more and more badass as each I guess. one goes on? Yeah. You know? It's... Uh, something else that I also love is in this extraordinary story, everything else about it is really mundane. So their protective suits are clumsy. Uh, they enter the spaceship off the back of a scissor lift, <laughs> which is hilarious. Here's something that has travelled from another galaxy and they're like, you know, she literally writes on a whiteboard. So all of that stuff grounds the fantastic in something that you can relate to, which is what we have discussed ad nauseum yes, yes, on yes. Uh, this podcast is so many times you see something and you just go, well, that that's the bit I relate to and that's the bit that you fucked. Yep. Yeah. And it's also a reminder of the gulf between the two species. You know, yes. They're in this thing that is not emitting any kind of radio waves or transmission waves that's floating on the yeah. surface of the Earth. How is it doing it? Yeah. And we're in a scissor lift. Yeah. Y- yes, and that, that also, I think, that that they realise as you go on that they're approaching it from the wrong angle. Yeah. When you start to communicate with something mm. rather than starting simply with what's basic to us. Yeah. You have to kind of go beyond yourself and think beyond your own mm-hmm. kind of framework. And that's what the aliens have been yeah. doing all along, actually. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the rest of the world building is great. Like, all the responses from the countries feel pretty correct, yeah. I reckon. The... Uh, the China and Russia uh, reaction makes a lot of sense to me. I think uh, very early on, like, what do you do? You get one kind of glimpse of General Shang and it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I completely understand where this guy's coming from or what he's going to do. I'm also, the the subtlety of the soldiers who are hooked on the Alex Jones-style <laughs> dude on online and, you know, the phone calls of, you know, worried wives, you can... When they finally do snap and try to blow up the ship, it it doesn't come from left field. It's It's been bubbling along just in these tasty little snippets. Yeah. And I also love, I mean, it's, 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 it, it's indicative of this whole movie that we don't get the bang, bang action sequence shootout of the soldiers rebelling. It is just guns in the distance as we kind of are in yes. the ship with the ticking time bomb. You know, it's all just kind of the world is real. We don't need to be in it. Yes, uh, that was. I was actually going to ask that in the uh, next, but uh, I love that you don't see yeah, it's what great. happens. Thank just God. hearing it, you just go, "That's enough." I know shit has gone. Yeah, yeah and and again, the kind of courage that is showed here is to not be in the heart of the action, to yes. not be throwing yeah. your body in the line, but actually to keep concentrating and keep your mind focused on the task yes. at hand. Yeah, when danger is approaching. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, probably the most uh, action orientated moment of the movie is when the heptapod pushes both of them out. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's probably, you know, physically the biggest moment. Which I'd forgotten was happened. I, there was a part of me going, oh, we're going to get the, you know, the big bomb diffusing scene where Reno shows what an expert he was. He relives the Hurt Locker. Oh, I'd yeah. completely forgotten that that's how it goes down. Oh, really? Yeah. That's great. Well, that's nice. That's, I'd forgotten a lot of this. It was really good to rewatch. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's amazing how um, sometimes you rewatch a movie and you go, why, why aren't I watching this once a year? Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so uh, Louise is experiencing more flashbacks to her daughter, but she pushes on with work. Uh, 
When she's finally able to ask the aliens about their purpose, the response is translated as offer weapon. Louise argues that this could relate to the concepts of uh, means or tool. Meanwhile, China's translation has come from their decision to use the game Mahjong. <laughs> a highly competitive winner takes all game. And Louise and Ian return to the ship and the aliens give them a more complex response, but unbeknownst to them, the rogue soldiers have planted a bomb. Uh, the aliens save Louise and Ian by ejecting them from the ship, knocking them unconscious. Because we've already answered my question, what game would you have used if you had to use a game? Guess who? Hmm. <laughs> Cluedo. Memory. <laughs> oh, right, great. Mafia? Um, when uh, when Louise wakes the spaceship has moved further away so it cannot be accessed anymore the US Army decides to evacuate in case of retaliation China and Russia cut contact with the world so the US follows suit meanwhile Ian has explored the complex message they gave to them and discovered the symbol for time is present throughout the message and is exactly one twelfth of the 3D space which it is projected onto Louise deduces that the full message is split uh, amongst the 12 craft and that the aliens want all nations to share what they learn. On a scale of 1 to 10, if this happened in the world today, how fucked would we be? 10. <laughs> We're 90 seconds on the doomsday clock yeah. at it's the great. moment. Yeah, I read that fun. yesterday. No way. There's yeah. no way this collaboration would happen. You know, there was a really nice period in my life where I'd forgotten about the doomsday clock. Oh, like, yeah. I was obsessed with the doomsday clock in the 80s. Yeah. Like, the, the, like, you know, uh, Richard Feidler and I discussed yes. this a lot. Like, the fear of nuclear war in the 80s was so prevalent and uh, just constantly in the back of my head. And, you know, the like, like it was really con- confrontational when Iron Maiden released a song Two Minutes to Midnight. Now it's 90 Seconds to Midnight. Time for a new song, Iron Maiden. Yeah. Get it back up, mate. Fuck. This is a big reason I uh, have disconnected from the internet altogether. Cause, uh, I'm this is the first time you've... Disconnected. Huh? Sorry, I was doing a flying hijack. Keep going. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I'm connected when I have a contract for work, which is a few months of the year, and every other time there's no internet in the home, and it's a lot of it is to do with this. And uh, it's been three months since I got rid of it, and I think when I walked in today, I was like, I'm cautiously optimistic. It's oh, weird, yeah. but yeah. I think it is a direct byproduct of not I immediately feed. I immediately slapped him and picked him up by the ankles and held him off the balcony <laughs> to work out where's Ben Irwin and what have you done with him. <laughs> Well, you know, people were, like the other day someone went, how good is this Andrew Tate stuff? And I'm like, who's Andrew Tate? I don't know who that is. You like, also yeah. don't need to know. No, I'm, sh- I'm sure I don't. I feel yeah. much better for not knowing. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like nothing like... Like, the only good thing about Aliens coming now and having the 12, you know, everyone having to communicate together is... Uh, watching which crazy-ass Americans would come out and say that it was against their civil rights to be in contact with... A hundred percent. Anyone. Well, remember Reagan used to say... Remember that there's that story of Reagan whispering into Spielberg's ear during a screening of E.T., going like, I believe that this is the only thing that would unite Russia and oh, America yeah. is the landing yeah. of an alien spacecraft. Like, I don't think it would at all. Well, it would be like Watchmen. It would last for a little... It would unite for a, for a little bit, and then it would... Not the only thing that can bring people together is the shared hatred of Velma. Yes, <laughs> yes, and it's worked, hasn't it? Mm. Wow, what a hero Mindy Kaling is! Wow, like <laughs> the great yeah. thing is Ben has no idea what we're talking about. I know about, there's a reboot uh, of Velma. From yeah, that everybody hates. Oh, everybody hate it? Not everybody hates. I assume there are well, some people who love it, but is it, it seems shit? to have poli- it seems to have uh, 
depolarized online the, discourse because the, the right wing right. hates it and the left wing hates it. Oh, the left wing hate it too. I yeah. Thought. So for example, yeah. I thought the right wing hated it because she's not white, right? I haven't I haven't seen it, I but see. I am uh, I saw somebody say that in the first episode there are uh, lesbian police women of color who sh- shoot a suspect for lols. Um <laughs> so it's sort of hitting a lot of buttons. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sure. I've got to be honest, you kind of sold me. Yeah, that, that sounds... So, uh, <laughs> but, okay. Uh, China's General Shang delivers an ultimatum that the local alien craft must leave China airspace in 24 hours. Uh, Russia, Pakistan and Sudan follow suit. Louise has more flashes and is drawn outside where a pod ejects from the alien craft and takes her on board. One of the aliens has died from the explosion, but the remaining alien explains they have come to help humanity because in 3,000 years' time, they in turn... Humans in turn will uh, uh, they in turn sorry will need humanity's help. Their uh, the weapon is their language. Once a human learns their language, it will change their perception of time, allowing them to experience memories of future events. And it is with this understanding we suddenly realise that the memories of Louise's daughter are premonitions of her future. Where where do you rate this as a revelation in films? Like this is I the top top end right love it i yeah. love it i love it because it also then shows you that she has been struggling throughout with what she believes are weird weird like a, that she's in the yeah. midst of a psychotic breakdown that she's yeah. holding it together for her work that she yes, thinks yes, she's yes. having a, a real traumatic thing happening and she's that's one of the places in which her kind of heroism shows up or her reckless courage shows yeah. up that she thinks she's breaking down but she's still goes to work and yep. does her job. Yeah. And then it turns out that, in fact, yep. the aliens introduced themselves to her and the concept to her, they like, you know, me, Tarzan, you, Jane, mm. yeah. happened before she arrives on the scene, that this time dilation is happening yeah. as we go. Yep. And that's their first introduction to her before they've actually met in linear time. Yeah. Um, and I just found this such a, a great sci-fi way of thinking that you could see through time because it's a thing that I've been obsessed with mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for ages. Yeah. And because this is, again, it's about motherhood and being able to see that she will lose her child and, and she experiences them as memories, which means she's having the emotional reality, the emotional resonance yeah. of losing her child mm. before she's had a child. Before she knows her child. And then also... I don't know whether this is going to count as a spoiler because I've got so many thoughts. No, 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 go, go for go it. For it. We, we can uh, just go. So, the, so, But also, the, the, like, being a parent is time travelling. Being mm. a parent, you the moment you give birth, you realise your own childhood is a different thing than what you thought it was. Mm. That these things that you thought were just childhood are decisions that your parents made, mm. acts of, of courage or cowardice that your parents enacted yeah. in, in mm. front of you and that's what shaped these experiences from you as a child. And then also you have this moment of, of going... The best thing that can happen in my life is that she watches me die. Right. That's that's the goal now of my life is that she watches me die and that she's sad about it but that I've equipped her well enough that she can deal with it. And then and then in this instance this this courage that she has to go forward with becoming a mother, knowing that she will lose her daughter. And and that what that is, what that means and, and that kind of that's what all motherhood is, in a in a way. You give birth to a death. You know that your child will die. You hope that you die first. Yeah. But you've brought this into the world. That's your responsibility now. And 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 to be there for all of their pain and to not be able to fix it and all of that is what I when I talk about like feminine courage. 
and I've been obsessed for ages about this idea of, you know, since I, whenever it was that I was introduced to the idea of the time-space continuum and the fact that time and space are the same thing mm. is the theory that we're working with, right? And, and so I'm going to, can I read the poem? Oh, yes. Would you like to read the poem now? Please do. So this is a poem that I wrote after my mum died. Right. Which was about this, was about this kind of, feeling that I had that I was moving away from her in time moving away from a time at which she ever had existed mm. um, and so the poem is is this uh, it's a real wanky thing to do to read one of your own poems on a podcast but suck it up what? no what are you saying Like this, is, this, is, ex- right. this is exactly the podcast to do it on I wouldn't like I wouldn't do it on Topher I would. Uh, that's why I'm never on TOEFOP. I know, but then it would annoy you because then they'd have to reply with a limerick or something and uh, would just ruin the moment. Uh, if there are other worlds we walk into with dreams, they might have other logic in the way their atoms move. Physics might be as it is in dreams where you can walk across events over, over hours and arrive, be as here as you ever were. Curve the light around that moment when... And every piece of time would be laid out in all directions, all all time at once, like a sheet. So we moved over it instead of it through us. It wouldn't matter that there is a place beyond which you are not. In the physics of a dream, there's only where you remember them being. We could talk and you might be alive or in an orb or a swan giving me a quest or... Breakfast, eating breakfast at the table as you used to as I came downstairs half-dressed and half-asleep and you'd make fun of me with bits of verse or ask me questions. It's very nice. Beautiful. But it's that, right? That's what's in this movie, which is this idea of moving through time like space. Yeah. One of the reasons I won't have kids is because I just know they'd be too devastated when I eventually die. (laughs) So that's... um, I don't want to put them through that, so... That's why Juzzy Jr. doesn't exist. What an act of kindness. Um, it's very nice of me. What a brave it? guy it's you so are. so yeah. lovely. Well, I'm saving them. But, I mean, this is the moment where you realise that the movie conceit of, of flashbacks yeah. is not what's happening. What yeah. you assumed was flashbacks yeah. is real time, is her having these flash-forward memories and experiencing them. And then her acting suddenly gets this other layer where yes. she's surprised by the memory. She's devastated by these memories that aren't hers she's confused Mm -hmm. by them and she's trying to put them aside not in the way that you put grief aside but in the way that you put madness aside yeah Mm -hmm. and it's it really rewards re-watching the film yeah because then you uh you haven't been watching the movie incorrectly but you've been watching it a certain way and now you get a whole new version of it so yeah it 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 mirrors her revelation in that moment in this meta way you've suddenly uncovered this new dimension that was always visible. Yeah. And it recontextualizes your understanding of the world, which is Absolutely. what's meant to be happening to her. Yeah. And, and it, it adds, a, sorry, it just adds a, uh, a, a slightly different type of melancholy uh, yeah. that's present, uh, which only becomes apparent at this point. And it, ref- it reframes her short monologue from the very beginning of the film that, you know, is just poetics before you understand the true context. But you know that she doesn't. She no longer believes in memory as we yeah cons- as we normally perceive it. That there are no beginnings and endings, and you yes, know, you and, see and, and the performance in that opening montage is completely reframed. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you assume it's sort of that her 
that she's having flashbacks to the death of her daughter, then you think she's trying to console herself yep. yeah. with the idea of memories being something more than what they are. Yep. Yeah. And then you realise, no, she's speaking very literally. And this is the point at which you realise that Jeremy Renner is part of this yes. picture. Yeah. The, uh, also, there's the, uh, the conversation with the mum, which is very tricky. It's a, it's a throwaway conversation, but it also implies that they've broken up and uh, she, she's broken up with her partner and mm. after the child has died. But it doesn't mean that at all. It's actually something completely different. But it's, mm. um, it's, a, it's, it's a very clever little throwaway 60-second yeah. Yeah. chat, you know, that just yeah. helps uh, put it in a different place. But before we move on to the next scene, did it, were you guys like me and you got really devastated uh, with the phrasing of how the alien had died? Uh, yes. He yes. entered death process now. <laughs> that yeah. fucking ruined me. Yeah. It was brutal. You yeah. know, and, 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 you know, this weird kind of nobility of uh, Costello or Abbott, I can't remember which one's left. Yeah. But just this kind of, you know, my... And you assume that they're whatever, soul-bonded, lovebirds, whatever it is. Yeah. Mate for life, some kind of situation like that. But the nobility to just continue with the mission without, yeah. you know, animosity, without, you know... Which it, is when you realise that they are scientists too. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's very yeah. much in, in line with this, the, the courage that you speak of that Amy Adams has shown throughout the, yeah. the film. They're, know, they're exhibiting the same... Yeah. Their version of the courage. Because the, the mission itself is they need this to work for... Yep. Which is why... And also then you realise that the experience that she is going to have and mm. the memories of that experience that then she has before she meets them is what opens her up yep. to this understanding of time. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Louise returns to the camp and explains that the language is the tool and the world needs to work together. Nobody listens to her and try to send her off with Ian and the rest of the crew who are evacuating. Uh, Louise sneaks off, returns to the base, and as she is beginning to understand how their language works, she sees her future where she is at a United Nations event celebrating newfound unity. In the future, General Shang introduces himself, thanks her for persuading him to stop the attack, and reveals she did this by calling his private number and reciting his wife's dying words. War doesn't make winners, only widows. By seeing the future where Shang gives her the number and the words in the present, she can call Shang and save the world. And, uh, like, what do you say? It's just It's just outstanding. Yeah. Even, even the, you know, you've, you've had this taste of General Shang earlier on and the moment of warmth with her at this point having her consciousness expand and not quite realising what is happening and then being able to have that moment of making the call. Like, it's so heroic to see something as simple as making a phone call. And uh, once again, the way Ian places himself in front of her. And so that the, she can make the phone so call. So she can make the call. It's not, it's, it's not macho, but it's heroic. Yeah, and it's also in that m- sort of, in that way that, that uh, putting your body on the line in a war or something is just the heroism with which we're familiar mm. will... It means that you can't relate to the real world anymore, mm. that you can't move through mm. the real world in a way that feels familiar. You've, you've, that's what PTSD is. Yeah. She's, she is accepting the fact that she will never yeah. move through the world in the same way again. Yeah. Um, but see, I, see I, per- I, I perceive her perception of time differently. I don't think that she's remembering this memory with General Shane. I believe in that mo- I believe that it's all one block time. Yes. And in that moment at the UN conference, she doesn't 
know what's going on. No, no, she doesn't know what's going on yeah. there. But but in the in the present for us, she is remembering. Yeah, she's or, remembering she's, a moment. That in that in the future, she doesn't understand yeah, what's going on. It's only her past version yeah. of her that understands the context of what yes. is happening. Yeah, and that it's all time is happening at yeah, once. Yeah. She's tapping into the two memories at the same, or well, the yeah. two moments at the same. But time. But she's also burgeoning with yeah. this idea yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, no flexes, nothing, no quips, no, nothing smart arsey. It's just Shang. Obviously, he obviously n- understands what's going on as well, and realizes this is the point where I have to tell you. Yeah. So you can do the thing in the past that you did to me. Do you think he's on the other end of the phone having a, a, a comparable moment of, you know, experiencing yes, I think all moments so. as one uh, moment? Well, I think they're all... Uh, I think everyone's having these experiences and they're, uh, I, I feel like she's a little bit ahead. She's a little ahead bit ahead, curve, as yeah. it were. And so then that's why when this happens, it, it makes sense to him on some level. Because Renner indicates that he's starting to have these strange flashes as well, right? Uh, at some point well, Yeah, he, at some yeah, point he does yeah, yeah That he's having strange dreams Yeah Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Once China stands down and decides to release their messages The rest of the countries follow suit And the 12 spacecraft leave During the evacuation Ian expresses his love for Louise And she hugs him knowing they will be happy together They will marry They will have a baby But when she reveals the truth of what is going to happen to their daughter It will be too much for him And he will leave her And their daughter will die in the end, we have a moment of triumph, even as we watch a tragic love story not come to an end but begin. Uh, I just kind of think this is the perfect science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. I, I can't find any flaws in it. I think that, yeah, I think yeah. that the relationship there is just like that. That tragic, doomed relationship is so great. Yeah. Because where he sort of cannot accept that she knew it was going to end tragically and still went ahead with it. Yeah. That's sort of his failing. Right. Because that's what everything ends. You know, right. everything ends badly and you would rather have is, it happen than Is it than is it not. that she goes through like or is it more see that's interesting. I read it more that he saw it as a betrayal that she didn't tell him from the start. Yes. Because she knows that she didn't tell him from the start. It's already yes. happened. Because she knows that I, he can't bear it. He doesn't no. have the strength to know. Like, he doesn't have that particular kind of strength. Not that yeah. he's not a great character. Yeah. But that her great strength is to just go ahead with it. Mm. Yes. And that is actually the, the strength of all mothers. Yes. Mm. I, I, I personally think it's a failing of hers not to tell him earlier, even though she knows that she doesn't. Yeah, but like, I think... not not in a... If she Not told him earlier, way. he wouldn't have gone ahead with it. And she because it's cares more about her yeah. daughter's life than she does about his feelings. Yes. Even yeah. though her daughter's life is I, cut short. By the way, me saying that, I don't think either of them are incorrect. But no, I no, think no. It but is, yeah, I think, that I think is the, that's what he sees as the betrayal. And, and I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair of him yeah. to see that as the betrayal. But also, I think it's, I understand. It's also a failing. Yeah, yeah. why... Why she didn't. Yeah. But if his anger towards her and the reason for leaving the relationship is his belief that she should not have gone through with having the child knowing what would happen, to me that's a fundamental misunderstanding on his behalf of the nature of reality in that she didn't make a choice. The choice had already happened. She was just going through the motions of living in that linear moment. Well, that's the question. That is the que- that's sort of the fundamental yeah. existential yeah. question of this piece, whether she does yeah. have a choice. Yeah. 
or she just doesn't tell him because she didn't tell him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I also... I like to believe that she chooses it because that's more interesting to me. Sure. Well, you, as, at as some point you still device. have to move forward. At some point you still have to move forward and she's in love with him and she wants yeah. to have his child and she wants to love this child even though she knows the child is going to die. And I, I read it differently to you. I didn't read it that he was upset. Like, of course he's upset, but, but I, I think, you know, you're a team. So you go into things together and she held back a fundamental, sure. important piece of information sure, sure, sure. that he fails to be able to react in a way that they can do it together. Sure. But so I, I think it's a failing, but I also think it's a completely understandable failing. Well, a very human failing. It's, yeah. You know. Um, yeah. I, I, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's simultaneously her cowardice and also her knowledge of his cowardice that means yeah. that she mm. doesn't tell him. Yeah. To, to so maybe just not tell him. Yeah. Like, so there's, a, there, I'm also a firm, but like, so this is a mild tangent, but yeah, yeah, years, yeah. years ago, a good mate of mine, uh, was seeing a girl, uh, 21, 22. Mm. Uh, they dated for like four or five years. Looked like it was like maybe going to marriage, then fell apart, blah, 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 whatever. And then like nearly two decades later, she calls him. And because she's at some, you know, resort, you know, getting all fucking at one with the universe, part of this process is to call people that you have wronged oh and God. make apologies and she called him and told him about this illicit affair Mm -mm. that she had had with this guy and when she had said when I said I was here I wasn't I was over in this country having this affair and then he was like I I didn't know that I I didn't need to know that Mm -hmm. and 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 that should have been her guilt to bear yeah. In my opinion. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And so there's a part of me that's like, why don't you just like just not tell him? Yeah. But then but then again maybe he'd say why didn't you know this anyway? Yeah, I imagine I imagine yeah. it comes to that point where she's diagnosed and he goes, What why would you not tell me this? Yeah. You you did you know this? And yeah. she says, yes, I knew this. But this is what makes the ending great, yeah. is because you've, you, like, you've got all these really conflicting memories. Something I have to point out to both of you, from the moment the aliens leave in the film, I never think of them again. Every time <laughs> I've watched it, the aliens, once they leave, I just... Like, They're when not I relevant get to the for another 3,000 years. <laughs> I just don't think of them. Yeah. I'm, all, I'm just constantly thinking about Louise and Ian and that storyline and, and General Shane. Like, it's just... Fascinating. Well, it's a, a, a propulsive ending. I yeah. mean, it's you know the the clip that it moves at and the emotion that's you know and that beautiful aria from the beginning of the movie returns yeah. and we understand the full you know the full weight of all things. J- just just quickly on the free will thing, and it, it does come back to the fundamental question. Yes. And I understand you're saying that it's more interesting for you to believe that she chooses to do it. Yes. But even if she doesn't choose in the free will sense to do it. Does it still rob the choice of profundity that that was the choice that she was always going to make and couldn't make any other choice? Which is essentially the, the, the great question about free will in general. You know, are our li- do our lives lack meaning if, in fact, we have no control over anything that we're doing? So I think I don't know whether we have free will or not. Mm. But um, I do. And because this is all mothers and daughters and I'm going, going around in circles on this, um, one of the things that my mum said about death was that she thought it would be a bit like childbirth in that you don't get a choice of whether it happens 
you don't get a choice of how well or badly it goes. The only thing you have a choice in is mm. your attitude towards it as it approaches. You know, you kind of don't get a choice about whether you scream and have a tantrum either. Like, is it, right. almost nothing about it is in your control. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen well or badly. And all you have is kind of your mindset going in. And that's the only thing you can control. And even if that's the only thing you can control, it that's worth controlling. Yeah. And that's that's sort of the courage that I'm talking about, maybe. Sure. Yeah. This is why I'm trying to get super fit at the moment. And I run up that uh, steep incline to Belvoir to kick off my running each time. Because what I'm thinking is if I get to the top and I just become super fit, then I'll just push this off for decades and I won't have to worry about it. Or I'll have a heart attack halfway up, <laughs> roll back down and a bus will run over me and <laughs> I won't have to think about it because it will happen so quickly. Well, this is the thing. You you sort of, you can be fit. <laughs> yeah. And then that, you know, like... Whether you're fit or not is that last 20 years, right? Whether yeah. those last 20 years are really uncomfortable yeah. or mm. what's, um, sort of mm. just what, being a person. Yeah. What's, what's the weirdest fear you have of, uh, like, worst way to die? Because I, I, I saw something happen once and, every, and it's been one of those things that I, I'm always wrapped when I realise I haven't thought about it for a while and then I'm furious that <laughs> I've remembered it, which was I saw a glass pane fall out of a, um, out of a uh, top of a building. And just luckily just like fall, you know, (laughs) like floor after floor after floor and shatter and no one got hit or that. But all I can think of is imagine I'm walking along going, God, I wish David Bowie was my... and uh, Split in half. And I'm split in half. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a thing that I ever think about really. (laughs) Right. Well, you can have that one if you want. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. Again, I just think it'll happen. It'll happen the way that it happens. And I hope that I'm compostmentous enough to do it uh, in a way that doesn't hurt anyone else, Mm. right? To deal with it as it comes. Yeah. Are there a few people you'd like to freak out though? No, you're very nice. There's a few people that I'd ring up and go, I'm going to ruin this for you. (laughs) (laughs) Alice, if you were in Amy Adams' situation, would you have made the choice she made? Oh, well... I think, as I, as I said, I've made this analogy with it being like all motherhood to a certain extent. Yeah. And so, sort of all life, right? Yeah. All Everything oh, well, ends buying badly. A, buying would, a pet. Yeah. yeah buying a pet yeah. is making a deal that at some point you're going to make sure that if you can, you give them the best way out. Also a guarantee of grief. Well, yeah. Yeah, grief. yeah. Yeah, Profa- yeah, yeah. That, that, but that's also life. So I think I was brought yeah. up Buddhist. So yeah. that's yeah. kind of my understanding of life is that, you know, suffering is inevitable. Yes. Yeah. And to sort of, it's, it's like saying, why make friends? They're, you're probably not going to, you know, they'll die or you'll die or you'll break up. And you're like, yeah, that's Or they'll annoy worth you. it. Yeah, or they'll annoy you yeah, or whatever. The, the, the suffering why. is inevitable. And so you, you choose how much suffering you're going to open yourself up to by saying how open you are going to be to the yeah. world. Yeah. Well, that's why Ben's in a great mood because he's not been on the internet for three months. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Justin talk about this all the time, you know, like in terms of our... Uh, either decision or just, you know, the, the, the fates of not having had kids. And, yeah. you know, I always default into the, uh, for, the, for those that are conscious, conscious of what they're doing in the process of having a child, I see it as such a profound act of selflessness and bravery in the sense, you know, people talk about like, oh, you won't be able to go to the movies anymore. Yeah, there's that. But the idea of externalizing your heart and releasing it into the world is 
<laughs> I can't imagine anything more terrifying. It's terrifying. She knocked a little tooth out with a book. I had to stick it back in. Terrifying. The worst. But beautiful, you know, like, of course, the flip side is that it's, you know. Yeah. Like when I, I asked you when you got here, did it all change when she came out? Well, <laughs> the other thing that I think about is that it doesn't matter whether you have children or not because you get to choose how much you parent the people around you. Mm. Right. How much, you know, and, and, and <laughs> that way of what parenting is, which is painting on water, which is giving a contribution you don't know how much of it will be accepted or in what way it'll be accepted you give and you give and you give and then they figure out what to do with it mm. you know it, it impacts them or it doesn't they brush it off or they don't you know they rebel yeah. against it or they yeah. internalize it mm. but we're doing that all the time with all the people around us if you're a good friend you're making them into a better person they're making you into a better person with all the people your par- your own parents mm. your if you can have an adult relationship with them part of that process is parenting them and helping them come to terms with their own cracks and gaps and mm. foibles and so we are all in a way i think in the best possible world looking after each other mm. yeah educators yeah and giving of ourselves to each other and yeah. that's the best world mm. yeah and that's why i'm cutting ties and contact with most people anyway <laughs> uh we have a few more segments to finish up uh who and how which character do you think you would be and how would you react in their place who would i be mm. i got- look realistically i'd probably be the scientist getting carried out at the beginning having a nervous <laughs> breakdown <that's> Mate, that <laughs> is a hundred percent who i would be as well but i reckon it would not be because i freaked out about the aliens it's because knowing my luck i'd have some shitty anaphylactic reaction to those shit suits that I had to wear. So I'd be so excited that I'm meeting aliens and then I'd be like, why am I suddenly so itchy? <laughs> I mean, to be really self-indulgent, I'd probably be the alien, right? Uh, so oh, I, right. I spend my whole life feeling like I'm trying to translate myself yep. to somebody else. Yep. Also, I can see through time. Ah, <laughs> and I write with sense. ink squid in yeah. circles. This is like you talking to male managers. What about you, Ben? <laughs> I would like to think that I would be... <laughs> I would like to think that I'd be like Renner in the first... 10 minutes. I love his giddiness yeah. in, the, in the approach. Yeah. That that kind of, you know, the childlike wonder takes yeah. over. Well, that, and that's what he does for her is yes. he brings joy because she's quite a serious yeah. and intense person and he brings this lightness and joy to her. You yeah. can see why she falls in love with him. Yeah, and vice And versa. why she doesn't want to ruin that part of him. Yes. Yeah. And that's why she withholds this information yeah. in part because she loves his joy. It's, it's too much. But he's ready to dive head first into the blow my mind, like change my reality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I may have, I I may have gotten a bit more scared of that as I get older. But that's definitely who I was for most of my life. Also, the uh, the joy when she wakes up after the explosion and the joy that he has found something that he went in and while she was recovering, he found all this stuff, and it's like. It's great. He's so good in this. He's great. Uh, So we have a segment called Zero Charisma where we pick out someone who we think is a bit shit. But I honestly couldn't think of anyone. And I spent ages on this. No, two. Two? Yeah. Who? Amy Adams' CGI hair when she goes back into the spaceship to communicate with the the Mm. guy. Mm. It's a bit ropey. I was really Literally. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And the Alex Jones guy is not... As charismatic so as he should be. That Say what you will about Alex Jones. In his prime, yes. he was there was a like a dark charisma to him. Yes, and this guy was kind of just going through the motions. Yeah, I so I had him as a possibility, yeah. and uh, I felt like he could have dialed it up a little bit. But I 
then I kind of wondered, like I wonder if that's a thing now because I think back then when the movie came out, I'm, I think he may have stood out too no, much. No, no, no. Oh, but, oh, right. I thought you were saying that Alex like, Jones were, was I more think, subdued in 2016. No, 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 no. But I just think, no, I think in the world of storytelling yeah. and movies and stuff, and this is... It was uh, less in the public consciousness how toxic these characters yes. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it felt like I think, I think if you... I agree with you, but I think if you pump him up, you need to direct that guy really well because otherwise I'm asking this question and we're immediately saying... Oh, that guy! What movie was yeah, he yeah, in? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tips it into melodrama. Yeah, I have to say, I, I love Forrest Whitaker in this. Who yeah, is great. He's so good. I love the sweaty soldiers who are losing yeah. their minds in the corner. It's so great. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Michael Stuhlberg is always great as well. As he's, I, I love him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, segment better or worse? Ruin or improve the movie with one decision? Uh, I would ruin the movie by having <laughs> the aliens have t- one extra leg, but it's a penis. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what that's what they're pressing it. They're doing uh, hams against yeah. the with the window, just pressing it. Yeah, and that's what they realise. <laughs> Uh, improve the movie by having the aliens wear little bows on their heads. Ah. <laughs> you know what? I don't think you could improve the film, but I think you're right. Um, ruin, the, improve the film. No, I don't think. I honestly, I don't think you can improve the film uh, unless it's a joke answer. But to ruin the film, I think it would be really easy to go into full blown melodrama kabuki stuff at the end. Yeah, that last ten minutes, like really kind of. I, I respect that. You know, it's not in that it's not in that echelon of sci-fi movies of like two thousand and one, where it's like whoa, abstraction, and you've got mm. you know, it, it is still a, a, a popular audience sci-fi movie, mm. but it is very clearly respecting the intelligence of the audience, mm. and I think it could easily tip into not doing that for the last ten minutes. Yeah, and especially I find especially with sci-fi, a lot of movies are ruined in that final act where yeah. they just kind of like just. In case you haven't got it, here it is. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's a very tough yeah. needle to thread. I'd uh, as the credits roll, I would drop Katy Perry's ET featuring Kanye West <laughs> to really get the vibe right as right. people are leaving. Is that ruining it or improving it? No, it depends on how you feel about <laughs> Katy Perry. <laughs> uh, segment: Where are we now? How close are we to the technology in the film? I mean, uh, how I feel about Katy Perry is how Katy Perry feels about Katy Perry. So alternately, lover and hater. Ah. <laughs> Tough times for Katy Perry. My goodness. My goodness. Katy Perry. Uh, The Harvard Gazette used arrival as a jumping off point to lay out the challenges of communicating with beings who may be much smarter and also don't share our conceptual system. Astrophysicist A.V. Loeb says the first step would be for humans to conquer their sense that they are at the pinnacle of creation and come to terms that we're probably somewhere in the middle. That way we will be more mindful of the technological gap that will likely exist. We also have to come to terms with the idea that aliens might have no interest in talking to us just as we have no interest in talking to ants on the sidewalk uh this means we're going to have to hope that one of the aliens is ben Elwood, who for people who have listened to this podcast knows that he talks to the ants Uh, professor of psychology and expert in language comprehension jesse snedeker says that the potential challenge is there is a high possibility that they wouldn't possess a conceptual system like our own she is still optimistic though because even an incomplete understanding would still be an understanding to a certain degree uh, some squid bits just to finish off. Uh, Ted Chiang's short story, uh, Story of Your Life, was initially considered to be unfilmable, so the movie spent a long time in development. The production company spent years on the script before the studio wanted to fund the shoot. Chiang 
uh, said that the film was both a great adaptation and a great all-round film. Uh, he's a he's a delightful interview on the Blu-ray, he is. and uh, I've I've got two books of his short stories, and every single one of them you read and you go, oh, I need to have a little little think on that. They're all wonderful. Uh, the original ending had the aliens gifting futuristic technologies to every country. America would be given a faster-than-light speed spaceship, while China would be given a high-tech life support machine. The aliens would also give humankind blueprints for an interstellar ship, but after the movie Interstellar came out, the producers felt their ending was too like Nolan's movie and changed it. Amy Adams read the script and within 24 hours agreed to make the movie, even though she'd just become a new mum. Uh, Adams was Denise's first and only choice for Louise and Katy Perry. They created a whole language and there is a logogram, Bible containing more than 100 different linguistic images. A total of 71 appear in the finished film. There is an affectionate homage to the film Contact where the use of Hokkaido as a site of alien contact is where the secret second vessel was constructed in the Jodie Foster film. They make some great milk in Hokkaido. You can make great milk? They have great milk. So oh. Hokkaido cheese tarts is a big thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Why right. is the milk in Hokkaido so good? Good cows. Good cows. Good good cows. Noble cows. Yeah. <laughs> the kind of cows you know you can rely on to lend money and get it back. Yeah. Denis described the visual style that he and cinematographer Bradford Young created for Arrival as dirty sci-fi. Denis described it as a bad Tuesday morning, like when you were a kid on the school bus on a rainy day and you dream while looking out the window Mm. at the clouds. Uh, Eric Heiser worked for weeks on what Shang's wife's last words would be, and he was peeved when he found out that the words weren't subtitled in the final cut. He didn't want the words to be a mystery for English-speaking audiences. The line, as mentioned before, was, in war there are no winners, only widows. Can you imagine, like, you go and see this movie and you go, fuck, they have nailed it. And then right at the end you're like, hey! 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 Mate, where's the fucking subtitle? Do you think it should have been subtitled? I think there's so much going on in that moment... Yeah. It's not even really a like clear locked off shot to have that that's not bleeding yeah. into other frames. You, you know, um, for people like us, I reckon it's fine. Because we're going to go and... Look it up. Look it up. Yeah. I reckon... Nah, I, I like that it's not there. Yeah, kind do of you, too. What do you reckon? I... Oh. Don't mind either way? If you were going to do a subtitle, I would want it to be maybe like a post hoc thing. Yeah. Where she like then looks at a piece of paper where she's got it written, she's been practicing it or something, mm. and that's the translation underneath. Not in, not necessarily contemporaneously, yeah. But something explained afterwards, or that something that's then put on a plaque to commemorate, or you know something maybe, like maybe that. Maybe it could have been the, um, maybe it could have been the like somewhere in the book that she writes. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Maybe anyway. But I, th- I feel like it's feeding into what we were talking about before, just the kind of respect for the audience and just yeah. leaving a little bit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's so funny. Like uh, this, this movie makes this movie did well at the box office. We don't normally talk about box office, but this movie did do well at the box office. Uh, but you know, there are, you know, you can sometimes understand why some decisions are made with movies to do better, if yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I always, I always get really frustrated. Uh, ben and I have discussed this before with uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which comes out the next year. Is that man? I just. I wish they didn't tell you that Harrison Ford's in the film. Like, uh, it, like that's you know, it's that's always going to be though. 
But that's like if you treat that like it's it, one of the great movie experiences of my life was sitting in seven and going, that's Kevin Spacey. Mm. Kevin Spacey's a bad guy. He wasn't in any of the advertising. And yeah. it's like, you know, wondering if Ford was going to be in it. it. It's funny. It's a movie that I've watched a few times now. And uh, I, I enjoy more because I'm now getting further away from that. Ah, oh, because I was sitting there going, when's he, when's he going to turn up? Mm. So anyway. Set, dera- uh, dra- Set decorator Paul Hoddy. Hot? Hoddy? Hot. Let's call him Hoddy. Tied the past, present and future together aesthetically by designing Louise's setting to resemble one another. Her home has the big window overlooking the lake. Her classroom has the big whiteboard. The chamber is divided by the big glass window. Mm. He also has an oblong lamp in front of the home's great window as an early nod to the spaceship that will change her life. Texture is also used to tie everything together. The lines in the ceiling at her home are reflected in the lines of the corridor of the university. The lines in the sediment of the rock that the ship is made from is there to represent layers of wisdom and mystery that the alien civilization would have had. Yeah, can I say how great it is that the spaceships are made of rock? Mm. Yeah. That that just it just as a statement. Yeah. You're like, "Oh, these these beings don't respect the laws of physics." <laughs> yeah. These beings have a different approach to yep. weight and space and t- and I think that's one of the like it's just such a beautiful way to like put put your message on your sleeve in yep. a way that you won't notice until later. Yeah. It's Absolutely. Well, even the way they take off at the end, they don't zoom away. They dissolve into dust. Yeah, they just kind of uh, eventually just kind of float over. Yeah, they go horizontal and just disappear. disappear. It's so good. Uh, One of the great choices of um, of, uh, 2001, you know, is that unknowable... Yeah. kind of shape. Yeah. Uh, the original design for the spaceship was round, but Denis did research and found an exoplanet that was oval. He wanted to use a simple design and it avoided typical spaceship clutter like windows, antennas, blinking lights, etc. Uh, in the original story, the spaceship lands, but instead they had them hover 28 feet above it and that way the humans must take the final step and that way we <laughs> see the crudeness of man-made technology versus the more sophisticated alien spacecraft. Um, at one point, the spaceship near Australia appears to be in the Indian Ocean near Geraldton in Western Australia. In a later scene, there is a brief shot of the spacecraft with Sydney in the distance, and I don't believe that this is incorrect. I'm guessing that while China was using Mahjong to try and communicate with the aliens and she was just using basic words, uh, Australia scientists were using AFL and NRL and uh, went, you know what, come to Sydney because that's where <laughs> the two sports cross over and we can explain everything to you. So I think that's just in a scene that they forgot to put in. Yeah. Uh, final segment, uh, sum it up. What does this movie mean to you, Alice? I think it meant to me when I saw it, it was part of this resurgence of sci-fi that has sort of ended up in a resurgence of fantasy as well. Mm. Um, respect for the genre, r- respect for these generic forms where mm. actually they're not limiting mm. of what you can do. I, I think people sort of n- assume that g- genre is limiting, mm. um, but actually I think you know, mm. c- creative constraint can let you do things that you wouldn't ever otherwise be allowed to do. Yeah. Like yeah. if you don't have to, yeah, you kind of, you know it's sci-fi, there's going to be aliens, there's going to be technology, you can kind of leave those things as read because people understand the forms of the genre so you don't have to justify them, you don't have to explain them which then lets you go a step further. Yeah. Um, 
I am yet to see that happen for romance as a genre, but it'll be interesting when it does. Right. Well, it feels like, you know, maybe that is the next genre that... Uh, gets respect. Gets respect and also, uh, and, and treat, you know, pushed against... Um, uh, the, the form to create new and wonderful things. There's a couple of good ones. Punch Drunk Love, beautiful romance film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. I really love it. Just Alive. They, they, they come out every so often. Yeah. Where it's, it's, it's all the tropes, yeah. but, you know, reframed. Uh, ben, what does the movie mean to you? Um, the great hope of, um, as I said very much earlier, the idea that we don't need to explore just one channel in a sci-fi movie that you know even in this conversation we've gotten into free will we've gotten yeah. into communication with other beings there's so much richness in this uh and yeah it's just it's rewarding to watch a film of that caliber and also the hope that you know that could kind of infuse other stuff going forward yep uh for me this is a beautiful enriching story and the lesson i take from it is to live in the moment we all know roughly what the future holds so be present as often as you can and relish each experience as it happens. Uh, we are releasing this just before the Adelaide Fringe, Alice Fraser, when we will both be there, uh, which has yes. turned out to be a fucking delightful coincidence. Yes. Uh, do you, Can you please uh, plug your show? Uh, my show is called Twist. I uh, don't know what it's going to be about yet. It will be uh, It will be from the 28th to the 4th, 28th of February to the 4th yeah. of March, um, I will be figuring it out as I go, um, but in the spirit of seeing through time, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I've, I've been having dreams that it's going to yeah. be amazing, and then you're going to come and you will laugh and cry and be deeply moved. Yeah, great. So so reassuring to just know that already. Yeah, yeah. perfect. I've read the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> No, don't read the reviews. That's Never the read Adelaide the reviews. Uh, ben, what do you have coming up? Uh, I'm not going to the Adelaide Fringe. Uh, just kicking around Sydney and I'm opening for Doug Stanhope on the 26th, I think, of February. But it's sold uh, out. So okay. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. If, will we be out by the 26th of February? Oh, yeah. No, we'd be up by it. Well, you know, if you can... Yes, we'll be well, out by we the 26th. Well, if we are not, yeah. I've done it and not done it all at once. Yes, absolutely. Maybe... Um, Maybe this time you can not uh, murder someone in the front row. Well, hopefully the crowd are much more polite than they were last time. Oh, yeah, no. I was booed as I entered the stage. I uh, just need to say um, that person deserved to be murdered. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was very. Yeah, I remember I came to that. Yeah, Yeah, I was about to walk down and slap him on the side of the head to shut the fuck up. But also, I was enjoying you ripping nine times a Sunday out of him. (laughs) Anyway, we've had a very lovely podcast, and let's not finish on the fact that some people are asshats. Thank you. Thank you to Alice and Ben for joining me today. We'll have a new Space Podacy coming to you in the next few weeks. It's a fan favourite guest of the podcast who was helping me to discuss one of my favourite 80s science fiction films. That's all I'll tell you for now. Or maybe I should tell you what the movie is. Do you want to know who the person is? No, you know what? I'll just tell you what the movie is so you can uh, maybe watch it in the lead up. But the film is Starman, starring Jeff Bridges, Karen Allen and directed by John Carpenter. So you have a few weeks to watch that before the podcast comes out. And uh, yeah, I still really love this film. I have a real soft spot for it.
Thanks to Lara for being our Patreon supporter for the episode. If you'd like to sign up, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton to find a tier that suits you. If money is tight and look, money is a thing, you know, we're all kind of struggling. We are hitting some tough times. But uh, sometimes people say to me, you know, I can't afford the Patreon, but I'd like to support the podcast in other ways. Uh, Look, a top review at Apple Podcasts is great. And also just word of mouth is a fantastic way to let people know about our work here. The more people listening, the better. So you know your friends who would enjoy this stuff. So suggesting the podcast to them is just as great. Even though I'm right at the start of my Adelaide Fringe run this week, there's one more podcast coming on Thursday. How do I do it? Well, I'm single. That's how I do it. I don't have kids. That's another way that I do it as well. If I, if I had a family, I probably wouldn't be able to churn out this many podcasts. But luckily, I spend a lot of time by myself and I'm churning them out. <laughs> so this Thursday, author Garth Jones joins me to discuss our favourite books and graphic novels from 2022. And we also discuss uh, your favourites. Some of the listeners sent in their favourites. And so that is right at the end of that podcast. Let's finish today with a quote from author Ted Chiang. The universe began as an enormous breath being held. I am glad that it did. Until this great exhalation is finished, my thoughts live on. Until then. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.